Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for Election Day, ladies and gentlemen. Get out and vote. If you haven't voted yet, go vote. What the hell, man? What are you doing? Go If you've already voted again and you live in Chicago, go vote again. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Welcome to it. Get to it as quickly as possible. So let me tell you, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Support the program, win fabulous prizes. Gene Simmons autograph book or Judge Janine Pirro autograph book up for grabs this week. Check it out. Membership has its privileges. Plus, it just makes you feel better. All right. Let's get on with the program. There is a lot going on. There's a lot of stuff to get to. It is, of course, you know, election day week. And uh, it's, it's nerd Christmas. And it really is. They're starting to panic. The left is really starting to panic. The reality is setting in. It's kind of funny because, uh, what do you call it, NBC News, they're trying everything they can. They're pulling out all the stops. NBC News has a poll out there. They're saying the enthusiasm. The enthusiasm gap is closed now. The blue team is coming. Maybe. Look, I'm, I'm here to tell you, do not take anything for granted, ever, under any circumstances. Get out there and vote. If you live in Chicago, vote often. Vote as often as you can. That's what has to happen. Never spike the football on the five-yard line. I'm seeing all these pieces by people, friends of mine, good friends of mine, that are going, and look, if it turns out that the Republicans sweep and crush, they're going to look like soothsayers. They're going to, and they're they deserve all the glory. I am a pessimist when it comes to such things in that I do not like to celebrate before the game is over. The clock is at zero. I've seen too many sporting events where things change in the last few minutes. Look at uh, yesterday. Tom Brady finally won a football game, and he won it in the last minute of the game. It didn't look very good. It was a bad game, but he, he ultimately won it. First quarterback ever, by the way, to pass for 100,000 yards. What I found amazing in his career, now, what I found amazing is that the second place for all-time yardage is Drew Brees, who's retired at 85,000 yards. So that'll tell you about Tom Brady. Now, this is regular season and playoffs, but that's beside the point. But there are a lot of people out there, friends among them. Kurt Schlichter, good friend of mine. He's got a piece today about how be nice to Democrats after you pummel them or whatever, but don't be nice to them. I forget which it is. It doesn't matter. That kind of stuff makes me nervous because what if you lose? What if I, I'm a big, I believe, and uh, it just seems to be the way that my betting history goes. And this is part of the reason why I don't go to casinos very often is if I bet five bucks on the sun rising in the east, it would come up in the west that day. So I don't like to get out over my skis. Yeah, Kurt's column is, uh, be caring for the libs' feelings when the red wave hits. Okay. Okay, I hope you have to. I hope you can. I hope you do that. I, I, I hope it is a red wave. But I've seen too many people expect certain things. John Kerry was president of the United States in 2004. He expected the 
Democrats to come out in Ohio. He expected to win Ohio. He was shocked when they lost Ohio. They genuinely, Mitt Romney was convinced that they were uh, set and going to win. And it was all over Ohio again. Wait, wait, no, what's going on? Watch that Mitt Romney documentary on uh, Netflix, and you just sit there and you watch people be confused over things not going the way they planned them to. So don't ever, you know, the old joke, you want to make God laugh, make a plan. Do make a plan, but make a plan to vote. Vote, vote, vote. Then go home. And if it does turn into a red wave, fingers crossed, we'll know relatively early in the night if it is going to be a good day or a bad day for, well, a good day for Republicans or not. I don't know that it'll necessarily be, although I think not winning the Senate would be a bad day. But I think I think it's a foregone conclusion that they'll win the House. I don't. I mean, if 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 Republicans don't win the House, there's real trouble. But if you look at New Hampshire, the uh, general bulldog up there running against Maggie Hassan, if they call that race for the Republican, or it's even particularly close, because it was one of those races where they, it just wasn't on anybody's radar then it could be a very good night for Republicans. This is one of the things I'm going to caution you for future reference about conservative media. You think, well, conservative media, they're for the conservatives. No, they're about ratings. They're all about ratings, by the way, to one degree or another. It seems as though the uh, MSNBCs of the world are they are content. They get decent enough ratings. But they, their first priority is the progressive agenda, period, end of story. And you think, well, Fox is the same thing. The left always says Fox is the same thing. Fox is not the same thing. They chase ratings. They do. Why do I say that and what do I mean? Well, if you remember the New Jersey governor's race last year, remember that? The guy almost won. He almost beat Phil Murphy. I can't remember his name. But he almost, it was a completely unexpected close race. It ended up being just a couple of points, I think. But it was expected to be a blowout in favor of the Democrats. It's New Jersey, after all. And the reason I can't remember the guy's name and the reason you likely can't remember the guy's name is because the guy never was on TV. Who the hell was the guy? It doesn't matter. He was never on TV, not because, you know, Fox hated him. It was because Fox thought it was bad ratings. Look, the guy's never going to win. What's the point in covering him? Well, there's, there is a point in covering him. He's, he's the candidate. You should cover all the candidates. You should cover all the races. Maybe not to the degree one or the other, one more than the other, but at some point you should cover him. I don't think the guy ever got on TV until it was a holy Frank Tanana. This guy, when people started voting, it was like a 10-point poll difference, and it took days to get the answer. Like, whoa, what the hell happened? Everybody missed it. No, everybody, nobody was looking. Nobody was looking. They just determined that they were not going to win. And so there's no point in talking about it. So the Bulldog race up in New Hampshire is one of those races against Maggie Hassan that did not get attention. 
It just didn't. It was, look, Maggie Hassan's probably going to win. The liberal narrative is Bulldog is an extremist. Let's not get associated with him. Let's stay away. Look, we want to focus on other things, blah, 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 which is really bizarre because the man spent 37 years in the military, worked his way up to general. He could have retired at 20 years, full pension, sitting there waiting for him, and sold out gone into the private sector as a military contractor, consultant, whatever, Raytheon, they all would have been thrilled to have this guy. But he didn't. He stayed in even longer and longer and longer. He never cashed in. He never sold out. And the liberal media painted him as an extremist. And the conservative media said, he doesn't really stand much of a chance. He was the Democrats' choice, so let's we'll mention him every once in a while, but he's not going to win. And lo and behold, the polls have him slightly ahead. Slightly ahead. Now, that doesn't mean anything. Polls are irrelevant. But it's the same thing going on in Washington State, where it sure as hell looks like Patty Murray, the Democrat, is in trouble. She looks like Edgar Winter. She really does. And she's been in office forever. And the people of Seattle in particular are... You know, having watched their city be held hostage by leftists or maybe saying, maybe we want to try a different direction. Because not only have we been held hostage by Democrats uh, terrorizing the city, we're also paying significantly more for the privilege of it. And oh, by the way, every public space is overrun with homeless junkies. And so they are considering, and there's a possibility, that they will vote for a Republican for the United States Senate. Now, that one could be a bellwether, except it's the West Coast and Washington, I think it's Washington State, all votes by mail. So they're not going to have a result probably for a while. And it, even if they did have it the same day, it wouldn't be till late at night. So if you're looking for a bellwether, watch what happens in New Hampshire. There are also three Democrat seats in the House of Representatives in Northern Virginia that are highly contested to one degree or another. Check those races out if you want to see a bellwether. Right here in Maryland, Neil Parrott versus the awful human being David Trone. Watch that race. Trone had more money than God. And if that goes down, and I hope he does... It'll be a good day for Republicans, but watch it and don't take anything for granted. Get out and vote. All right, so uh, let us get to some audio as to why you should vote and why you should know this. I watched, I got up Sunday. What the hell time did I get up Sunday? It was like seven. The clock changes screwed me up, but I got up and I watched while I was making breakfast. I was watching this week. Like, which do I want to watch? The ones that were on, where there's a Fox News Sunday, and their guests weren't all that interesting. And I figured I wanted to see what the enemy was up to. So I put on This Week with George... I love how they call it This Week with George Stephanopoulos. George Stephanopoulos doesn't seem to have anything to do with the damn show. Every time I tune in, it's Martha Raddatz hosting. Like, why isn't it This Week with Martha Raddatz? Well, because George Stephanopoulos has a giant ego and he wanted the show. It was a big uh, vanity thing for him. He just doesn't like to do the job. So he doesn't do the job very often. They got Martha Raddatz in there, but it's still his name on it. It's like Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve 20 years after Dick Clark died. 
Okay, I guess. But is Stephanopoulos a brand? I don't think so. Anyway, uh, Martha Raddatz had, and this is how it works, and this is why Republicans still have a long way to go when it comes to learning how to deal with the media. They really do. You had Cory Booker on live with Martha Raddatz, and she gave him a tongue bath. It was, I don't even want to call it an interview. It was foreplay. It was embarrassing. It was so tap and putty. It was so easy. It was so weak. It was so fangirlish as to be embarrassing to an adult human being. That being said, they then go to Jonathan Carl, who was with Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, except that wasn't live. It was probably recorded Saturday afternoon. And it's like, why would you agree to that? If you here is not I don't know. I'm not saying that this is the problem, but you never should tape an interview with a leftist outfit. They can edit it any way they want. I don't have any evidence that the interview with Glenn Youngkin was edited, but that's just a good rule of thumb in general. It may well have been for time or what have you, or they cut out certain questions because like, well, we went for 20 minutes, but we only have 15 for air. So let's uh, cut out some don't ever do, do it live. Do it live. If you can't do it live, don't do it. Glenn Youngkin, they wanted Glenn Youngkin. Okay, you say, Glenn Youngkin, you can't do it live. Your schedule doesn't permit. Then you say, all right, I'm going to pass. They'll have to go get another Republican. Let them get another Republican. Don't do it on tape. Also, don't do it with ABC News or don't do it without calling them out because what happened with Jonathan Carl, unlike the tongue bath that Cory Booker got from Martha Raddatz, was 10 minutes about Trump. Think what you will about the former president. I don't care. It's not relevant to the proceedings at hand. This is a midterm election. This is not a presidential election. The interview was all about, well, January 6th and Donald Trump, and now you're going to uh, investigate Joe Biden if you take the House of Representatives. Is that really what they wanted? It was a stump speech for Democrats trying to motivate other Democrats. My biggest problem, look, that's what you expect from Jonathan Carl. That's who he is. He's a left-wing hack. But Glenn Youngkin doesn't seem to know how to handle this. And by this point, shouldn't all Republicans know how to handle this? You're sitting there, you're talking about inflation, you're talking about gas prices, you're talking about crime, you're talking about the things that voters actually care about on the campaign trail, and then you sit down with ABC News, and all they want to talk about is January 6th. At some point in the interview, preferably early, you should say what? You should say, look, Jonathan, I understand that you're obsessed with the former president and January 6th, you live inside the Beltway bubble, but I'm here campaigning with Republicans across the country, talking to Americans about the things Americans actually care about, people without press credentials, people who aren't Democrats. So you can keep asking me these questions, but it's still not going to make a gallon of gasoline more affordable for people. It is not going to make dinner easier to afford. It is not going to make baby food manifest itself on the shelves of the grocery store. So why don't we talk about those things? Do you not have any questions about what Americans really care about? That would be the way to respond. Glenn Youngkin doesn't do that. He keeps going back. Now, Glenn Youngkin is probably too polite to do that. Politeness 
uh, has its place at dinner parties. It doesn't have its place in, in uh, electoral politics anymore. It's not because of Republicans. It's because of Democrats and Republicans finally having enough of Democrats to go, what the hell? I'm going to give you a big dose of your own medicine. It still doesn't work. But listen to this. They're very concerned. The media is wildly concerned. I've never seen a media so concerned about the prospect of an investigation before, or any investigation, or multiple investigations. You would think that the people whose job it is to conduct some kind of investigations wouldn't poo-poo the idea of more information coming to light. But you'd be wrong. Jonathan Carl is very concerned that the Biden administration might. Now, what are we told during the Trump years? Congress can walk and chew gum at the same time because you say, Democrats, you're wasting all your time on this impeachment. No, no, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Well, why can't those very same people walk and chew gum at the same time when the target of an investigation or the subject of an investigation is a Democrat? Why is it suddenly some sort of massive threat to democracy? It's weird. Just a question worth asking. If I were Glenn Youngkin, I might have brought that up, but I'm not Glenn Youngkin. He didn't. He was nice. Hearing a lot, though, uh, of talk about investigations, investigations of Hunter Biden, FBI, all things Anthony Fauci, uh, Republicans talking about going, you know, all in if they take control, particularly the House. Is that really what what you're campaigning on to to have massive investigations and all? I think that uh, that the House and the Senate and the White House are going to have to go to work and offer solutions. On top of that, our democracy is better when our Congress exercises its uh, responsibility for oversight, and they can also deliver answers. I think voters are going to make a statement on Tuesday, and they want their elected leaders to deliver results. Okay. So far, he's, he's paying lip service. Look, we can do both. And look, it's, it's a good thing to hold people accountable. Is it not Jonathan Carl? Now, he's dealing with Jonathan Carl as though Jonathan Carl is an honest broker. Jonathan Carl is not an honest broker. Therefore, he cannot move on. What about all this impeachment talk? I mean, I, I've gone through, I, I can count at least three members of the Biden cabinet that Republicans have talked about uh, impeaching. And obviously, there have already been impeachment resolutions introduced, many of them. Uh, for Biden himself. Would that be a mistake for, for Republicans to go in? Again, I, I, I believe strongly that our democracy is better when our Congress exercises its oversight functions. Impeachment? The, the, the reality of, of this is that Virginians are going to vote for congressional representatives, and I think that we're going to see a number of seats flip, and they want them to go to work to deliver. But what about impeachment? You're not seriously going to impeach. Don't you dare. These people are, are better. What, why would you even think about these things? Well, Jonathan Carl, if you pay attention to what's going on in the world, you might have a clue as to why this would be an issue for some people. No, I mean, let's talk about impeachment. Can we talk about impeachment? Do you really want nobody's okay saying, hey, uh, Mayor Secretary Mayor Pete maybe should be impeached for his incompetence. It's not a legally binding thing. Personally, I think he should be impeached. There are lots of Biden officials who should be impeached. But to sit there and say, well, this is what you're going to do. This is the new policy. This is how Democrats are going, or Republicans are going. That's not at all what's happening. It's not at all what's happening. 
Somebody saying something is not legally binding. Something saying something does not mean it is going to come to pass. But Jonathan Carl said, well, you're going to, if you vote for Republicans, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you're going to end up in a situation where you have these uh, Republicans impeaching Joe Biden. It's not true. It's not what Democrats, what they do. They just impeach Republicans willy-nilly. They do it when they don't really care. (laughs) But Democrats uh, are different from Republicans. Republicans aren't sitting there doing this. There's not a call from leadership to impeach Joe Biden. There's a call from, there was a call from Nancy Pelosi to impeach Donald Trump. That's why it happened twice. No evidence either time, but that's why it happened twice. And there was no outrage because Jonathan Carl isn't saying, well, you know, Nancy, did you really spend too much time focusing on impeachment? Because he was down with the cause of impeachment. He was down with that cause. So it didn't matter. Now, Yunkin has already sort of tried to answer twice, and Carl has to go back for more. They have to go back for more. That's it. The alternative would be to what? Talk to the Republican you had on for balance about the things that he's campaigning on, about the things the public actually gives a damn about. Nope, can't do that. So it's all Trump. It's all January 6th. The only, I don't know if Jonathan Carl lives in a bubble or if he's just a partisan hack. It could be a little bit of both. But listen to how it goes from there. But let me press you on that, though. I mean, common sense, kitchen table issues, that's what you've been talking about. Is, is that what voters have in mind, impeaching, an impeachment of, of Joe Biden? Because, I mean, I'm hearing that a lot. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if Would Congress... Would that be a mistake, is all I'm asking? Listen, Would that be a mistake to go into... I can't speculate on what they're going to do, but what I can tell you what is... What they should do is what I'm asking. Is you they know. have done... Well, I'm, I'm a governor. I know, but you're campaigning for members... I'm a governor in Virginia. For people to be in Congress. And my job as governor in Virginia is to deliver for Virginians. Yeah. And oh, by the way, I think that Republicans offer answers that Democrats have failed to offer over and over and over again. He can't let it go. He can't let it go. Uh, but you, yeah, but you're doing this. Well, what about this? But what about that? But what about the other thing? Jonathan, I get that you, you want to talk about this. You should go into activism. It's pretty simple. Go into activism. But that's how an interview goes. And at some point, you just got to look at these people and go, look, I'm not, I'm not going to play this game with you. I'm not interested in playing this game with you. I'm out. This is what people care about. This is, there's a difference between what media people care about and what real people care about. And I am going to go with what real people care about. That would be the way to go. Youngkin doesn't get it. That makes me think he's not particularly ready for prime time. It's a shame. He's a good candidate. He's a likable enough guy. Virginia is an important state. If Republicans could get back, win back Virginia, that would be very helpful, even if as, as a vice presidential candidate. But if he can't bat away these sorts of questions, these this sort of badgering, then he's not ready for prime time. Every Republican has to go into every, every interview with anybody in the media as if you're going into hostile territory. I don't know how many times people need to hear it, need to see it, but it should be pretty damned easy to understand how it works. And if you haven't figured that out yet, you're probably not ready for prime time. Now, let us go on to our uh, 
our president. He's not well. Joe Biden is not a well man. The guy has... Uh, you almost feel bad for him, except for you realize that in his moments of clarity, in his moments of lucidity, he doesn't cry for help. And you realize that either he's on board with all of the things they have him doing, or he's on board with enough of them, or he simply just enjoys the trappings of being president to the point that he doesn't really care. That he has to go out there and make a complete clown of himself, debase the presidency, and lie to the American people. Whatever legacy. I guess, I mean, there are some people who are like, I don't care what my legacy is. I don't care what I leave behind because I will be president. I will be a president of the United States. And therefore, you know, if, if the Democrats have managed to make Woodrow Wilson into a good guy, Woodrow Wilson into somebody worthy of envy, they can polish any turd. They really, they can at least get close to it. They, uh, they can't polish it, but they can just deny it. Yes, some institutions are eventually moving things away from, like, uh, they, I think it was Princeton had the Woodrow Wilson School of Government. They're, I believe they're going to change that. At least that's the plan. But uh, Woodrow Wilson is still, he's the first really full-blown progressive president. Yes, Teddy Roosevelt came before him. Teddy Roosevelt was a progressive, but the real progressive champion up until the point that his racism was, uh, I can't say rediscovered, it was widely known. I mean, the guy re-segregated the military, for God's sake. There's no, he, he, he was a huge fan of the Klan, for example, and a Democrat in good standing. They still loved him. Democrats tried to, they've, they've held on to their heroes as best they can up until recently while decrying everybody who is tangentially, I remember, like I said before, long time ago, Republicans had a retreat in Southern Virginia. They do these congressional retreats. A lot of times they come to Baltimore, uh, like the Republicans will come to Baltimore, the Democrats will come to Baltimore. They're, they're never more than a couple hours drive from the Capitol, but they, it's their retreat. They'll do another one after the first of the year when the new Congress gets together. They'll, oh, Congress is out of town for a long weekend retreat. Republicans did one at a resort or whatever it was in Southern Virginia where one of the meeting rooms, and it's a place where there are meetings, so there are lots of meeting rooms. One of the meeting rooms was named after a slave owner, a former slave owner, not a current slave owner because they haven't existed for 150 years, but Democrats will still tend to have you try to believe that they're everywhere. One of the rooms was named after a slave owner. One of the so-called reporters there noticed this. I imagine they ran from room to room to room Googling what each name, who each name, uh, who each room was named after trying to find something. They found one. They, oh, gold. We got a slave owner here. Therefore, Republicans are meeting in a place with a slave owner. That's who Republicans are. Democrats were the party of slave owners, and that doesn't even matter. They still, at that time, were having Jefferson Jackson Day dinners every year. Every They'd have 50 Jefferson Jackson Day dinners across the country. Each state's Democrat party had these Jefferson Jackson Day dinners. Now, you may not have a problem with Thomas Jefferson or Andrew Jackson, but weirdly, Democrats did. Slave owner, in, I don't know if Andrew Jackson, I believe Andrew Jackson had slaves at the Hermitage, his home in Tennessee. But uh, Thomas Jefferson did. 
And being a slave, there's also the little fact that, you know, Andrew Jackson took the Supreme Court decision in the Trail of Tears and said, I don't really give a damn. Let the Supreme Court send their military if they want to enforce this and, and still forcibly removed the Indians from the South, marched them to uh, the West. Bad things by a president. Different times. I don't judge them morally, although today you're just supposed to. But Democrats celebrated those two for a very long time. Then they eventually had to get rid of it. Uh, they chanted, I don't know what they call it now. But um, the idea of celebrating Woodrow Wilson, they kind of hoped that Woodrow Wilson would fly under the radar. They had things named after Woodrow Wilson. They had they had awards named after Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger was in league with the Klan and started Planned Parenthood for the in the hope of exterminating as many black people as possible through abortion. As more and more has come to light with Margaret Sanger, they've had to back away from Margaret Sanger, but not quickly. This stuff was known about Margaret Sanger for a very long time. But for example, I believe in 2016, 2017, somewhere in there, Hillary Clinton accepted the Margaret Sanger Award for being such a champion of women. That sort of garbage. So these people are uh, interested in power by any means necessary. They don't really care. It is its own end. It is its own end, and it's a reward. And so Joe Biden, if he is aware of what's going on all the time, doesn't care. And if he's not, when he does, he doesn't care. So he's willing to be a complete and total hypocrite, a complete and total fraud. I mean, hell, he was doing that long before he suffered uh, aneurysms and long before he suffered anything. He was always a dumb man. You can't say that he's losing it. He's losing it, sure, but he was always dumb. So when the president is out there at an event in New York, for example, with Governor Kathy Hochul, it really is amazing the places where Joe Biden went in the last few days of the campaign. It's really, he hasn't really gone anywhere. Uh, throughout the campaign, the Democrats don't want him around. They're not interested in having him around. They don't want to campaign with him because he's a disaster. He's wildly unpopular. So they've sent him to New York State. New York State can't do much damage there. There aren't very many people who are on the fence about Joe Biden. There's a possibility that Kathy Hochul will lose, and how wonderful would that be? You want to see a major bellwether. The canary in the coal mine, if Kathy Hochul loses on election night, flip to MSNBC immediately and watch it for the rest of the night. It will tape it. It will be something you'll want to preserve forever, but it'll also be something you want to watch live as it happens, if that starts to happen. If those dominoes start to fall in that direction, watch Rachel Maddow. Watch Joy Reid. Watch all of these people as long as you possibly can. But Joe is at a, like I say, he was at an event for Kathy Hochul in New York, and at the end of his little speech, somebody in the crowd, an environmental nut job, and I love seeing these people come back to bite the Democrats. They created them. They created these monsters. Frankenstein always, always, always returns to burn down the castle. Starts yelling about oil drilling 
And Joe Biden lets the cat out of the bag. Remember, he's sitting here insisting. He's not stopping drilling anywhere. He's not doing anything. He wants more drilling, in fact. He is imploring, threatening, really, oil companies, drill more, produce more, or else I'm coming after you. Coming to get you, man. I'm coming to get you. Well, when confronted by an environmentalist wacko, he says the exact opposite. Now, you can only hear his half of the conversation. You can sort of infer what the person is saying from his reaction to it. But here's the president of the United States. No more drilling. No more drilling. He's getting rid of it. Thank you. No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new new drilling. No, I... That was before I was president. We're trying to work on that, get that done. Thank you. Woo! There was all these leases and all that. We're trying to get rid of that. Trying. There's no more drilling. There's no more drilling. We would not drill. No more drilling. Don't worry, environmentalist wacko. You want to live in the dark ages, but you don't want uh, to live there alone. You want everybody else to live there with you. All right, well, don't worry, we're getting rid of drilling. Well, let's go into the Wayback Machine, back to June. June, now you could pick any number of times the President of the United States talked about this. This one just happens to be the one that I picked. Back in June, never going to shut down drilling. Never going to shut down drilling. No, no way, that's insane. Why would anybody shut down? Republicans are lying, saying that I'm trying to shut down drilling. President of the United States in the White House in June. This idea that they don't have oil to drill and to bring up is simply not true. This piece of the Republicans talking about Biden shut down fields, wrong. Wrong. Biden shut down fields. It's just wrong. This idea that they don't have oil to drill, it's just wrong. Yes, it's true, though. Joe always goes back to, well, they, got, they have 9,000 leases they aren't drilling on. Well, the vast majority of them they've explored. Giving a piece, hey, here's a huge chunk of land. Can I have the uh, right to explore for oil? Yes, you can have the lease, the drilling lease to go in. And you go and you look and guess what? There's not there. There's no oil there. There's no oil to drill. So you go, all right, well, move on. We'll go to the next place. Joe Biden counts those places as, look, they have the lease to drill oil on this. Yeah, that's great. You can have the lease to drill oil from 10,000 feet in the air. All right. Well, that's not going to do you any good because there aren't giant pools of oil floating around in the air. Right. But you've got that lease. And Joe Biden is insisting, why don't you drill? Look, they've got at least to, to drill on 200 million plots of air. And right now, as of now, they are drilling in exactly zero of those plots of air. These greedy profiteers, like, well, that there's no oil there. doesn't do any good. Or they make it so the environmentalist groups are suing to block the leases in the few places that they do have oil. It is a gauntlet that these companies have to run, and it is a long, expensive process. Why would any company go through a long, expensive process while the party in power is doing what? They are saying, we are going to shut down all oil 
in the next 10 years. We're making it so you can't even, California, you're not going to be able to buy a car that isn't electric, that uses gasoline. So then why the hell would you drill for oil if you're a gasoline company? Why would you do that? You wouldn't do it. Other states in the union are following along with that. Democrats are proposing that the federal government institute the exact same thing. Why the hell would you make a 10-year plan for your business or do something that won't come to fruition for 10 years if the government that's encouraging you to do it says, oh, by the way, we're going to ruin you in five. But you, you better start doing that because start throwing hundreds of billions of dollars into something that will never come to fruition if we have our way because we know that gasoline is priced, oil is priced on the futures market, and that might bring down the price. And oh, by the way, we're really just saber rattling because we're horrible people putting on a show for the election. You watch how on Wednesday the left stops caring about these sorts of things, regardless of the outcome. They'll stop. The White House will care again when it gets closer to 2024. But in general, the the party and the Democrats will stop caring about high prices. But if they did care, they wouldn't be pushing us towards disaster. Rolling blackouts in the Northeast this winter are predicted. Good luck up there in the Northeast if there's a harsh winter. We should hope, we should pray for climate change. Then you wouldn't need nearly as much energy to heat your home and there would be much fewer people freezing to death. But Democrats don't really care about people. Listen to Joe Biden. Remember that coal is where we get most of our energy because coal is reliable and coal works. He's promising to shut down coal and he wants to replace it with wind and solar, which do not work. First of all, they take a lot of coal, a lot of oil to produce that technology, to run that technology as well. The windmills don't lubricate themselves and it doesn't always blow the wind. It doesn't always shine the sun. And so you end up with uh, area, periods of time where you're in the Stone Age. But Joe Biden doesn't care. He doesn't care. Remember, he's like, we're not stopping drilling. We're not doing anything, even though he's promising that woman in New York, we stopped drilling. Now he's going to promise to be like Germany, like other places in the world. We're shutting down our coal plants for unreliable things. So it's going to become a wind generation. And all they're doing is they're going to save them a hell of a lot of money and using the same transmission line they transmitted the coal-fired electric on. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America and having wind and solar. We're going to be shutting them down all across America. What could possibly go wrong aside from everything? The wind not blowing, the sun not shining. You add to that, add to the unreliability of the source of energy, but you add to that the increase, mandated increase in demand, as every house that uses heating oil is going to have to be retrofit to use electricity. Every car sold in a couple of years, if Democrats have their way, will have to be electric, will have to be charged. That's going to add what? More demand, which automatically will increase the price but it also doesn't mean that there's going to be any more supply because the sun can only shine for so many hours a day. The wind will only blow for so many hours of the day. You're taking away something that produces over 90% of the electricity 
and shutting it down for something that is unreliable and produces less than 5% of it. And you're telling everybody they've got 10 years in which to do it. Or else. There is no escape valve for shutting down. The nuclear power plants that the left has shut down are decommissioned. It's not there's no benchmark. Well, once we get to 50% of our electricity being generated by solar panels, then we will shut down the nuclear power plants. No, they shut down the nuclear power plants and said, we'll figure it out after that. That's why California has rolling blackouts. If you wanted to live in California, wouldn't you move to California? Democrats are going to bring California to you. No, thank you. All right. Uh, since we're talking about Democrats and election is upon us, I want to play for you James Clyburn. James Clyburn is the number three Democrat in the House. I believe he's the majority whip. He's the Speaker of the House. It is a majority leader, which is Steny Hoyer. I don't know why they have two of them. Uh, why Pelosi isn't, you know, the Speaker of the House is the leader of the Democrats. But then they have Steny out there. I guess it's for fundraising purposes. If you create these leadership positions and the Speaker can only be in one place at a time to fundraise, whereas you can, you know, try and suck up to Pelosi at one event and then you go to another event and you try and suck up to Hoyer and then the whip is James Clyburn and you send him to another event so you can have three events where people are trying to suck up to these Democrats. James Clyburn appearing on Fox News Sunday. See, last week he made a comment about uh, I'm reminded of uh, this period in time it reminds me of germany right before the election of hitler now that may sound a little weird to you since it's nothing like germany in 1932 it's nowhere near it's there's nothing like it it's just hyperbolic but again when you've got a choice democrats could either try to sell their policies or scare the hell out of people that's it. Sell your policies or scare the hell out of people. Those are the two choices that Democrats are presented with. And since their policies scare the hell out of people, you think, well, but not in a good way, not in the way that they want. So they've decided to just try to scare the hell out of people over Republicans. Well, you think it's bad under Democrats? Wait until Republicans get in power, except for people remember a couple of years ago. <laughs> That's the for look when when Democrats controlled the House of Representatives for forty years, you could make that argument. Yeah, no matter how bad it gets, at least it's not as bad as it would be with Republicans in power because they go, oh well, I don't remember when Republicans were in power, and they'll talk about well the Great Depression or you know just a couple of years during uh, World War Two. They go, oh okay, the Great Depression that was bad. That was bad. Then ninety four happened. They couldn't. There was nobody really around or not that many people around who remember how bad it was. Oh, those Republicans, it's really, really bad when they're in charge. Nobody was around to remember that. And so they elected Republicans and they said, hey, this is actually pretty good. Now, the economy being cyclical, it goes up, it goes down. Things have changed. Power has shifted. It's kind of funny because when Republicans are in power and things are going well, that actually frees up people to go, you know what, we can... We can waste time and money and energy and effort on all of these insignificant garbage sort of uh, 
issues. We can burn calories worrying about things that aren't really that important. And then the economy goes to hell again. And then they say, well, we got to now get our house in order fiscally. And they reelect Republicans. Right now, things are bad because of Democrat spending. So there's high likelihood that Republicans will end up back in power for that very same reason. Democrats are desperately trying to prevent that. They want to screw things up further. They still have a whole bunch of things they want to spend money on that they couldn't before an election because they were afraid to lose even worse. But if they manage to pull off a victory, hold on to power, they can go hog wild with. It's kind of of how things work in politics. Well, James Clyburn is doubling down on the idea that you're either with the Democrats or you're voting for Hitler, which, for my money, seems like just about as extreme as you could possibly, possibly get. If people want to deny it, that's fine. But okay, the but facts are very clear. I've studied history all of my life. Okay. I taught but, history. And I'm but, telling you, what I see here are parallels to what the history was okay. uh, in this world uh, back in the 1930s, so, Congressman, in then- Germany, in Italy. Okay. Are, are voters, though, out there listening to this message to infer from what you're saying that if they don't vote for Democrats in this election, that they are somehow supporting something akin to the rise of Hitler? No. If they don't vote against election deniers, if they don't vote against liars, people who lie, know full well they're lying, we all know they're lying. This was the cleanest election in the history of the country. <laughs> So it was just like before Hitler. So you're saying that if you vote for Republicans, you're saying you're voting for Hitler? No. That's exactly what you're saying, though. No. And now let me change the subject and reiterate the same point without reiterating the same point. No, 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 no. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. If you go to the polls and you vote against Democrats, I thought you vote for election deniers. Wow, that's a pretty big slam against Stacey Abrams right there. My goodness. Then you're you're just like Hitler. You're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing the other. But don't worry, nobody's comparing anybody to Hitler, not the American people. I don't know who thought it was a good idea. Where is the focus group? Because, you know, these, these parties, they focus group the hell out of everything. Where is the focus group where they're like, all right, so let's just say, which which... Which appeal do you think is is more effective? In column A, they make a policy argument. They lay out clearly what they want to do, and they contrast it with what their opponents want to do. And then they thoroughly explain the differences between the two and why it is what they are seeking to do is better for you than what their opponents are seeking to do. And you're like, oh, no, that sounds... All right, that's pretty good. And then on the other side is, the other option is they say that if you simply don't let them do what they want to do, if you don't agree with them, you're history's greatest monster. Okay, which which one do you think is more appealing to you? <laughs> what? No, no, no. Think about it. A reasoned, rational argument backed up with facts and statistics or just straight up, you're a damn Nazi and, uh, you know, trying to turn your neighbors against you so that every time you go to the grocery store, you'll run risk of being at least verbally assaulted at a minimum 
for being a monster. Which do you think is better? People who are for a set of policy ideas over another set of policy ideas or laying out a an argument that makes people afraid to put certain lawn signs in front of their houses for fear that some angry mob will come along and set their house on fire while they and their children sleep. Which one do you think is better? And the focus group goes, well, you know, I do like to hear a good argument and uh, be appealed to as though I'm not an idiotic 14-year-old boy. But on the other hand, I do love a good name-calling. I absolutely do love a good name-calling. And there are a couple of neighbors' houses I wouldn't mind burning down. So I'm going to go with the second one. I think that's probably the better way to go. Where is that focus group? Well, the focus, the only way that focus group exists, by the way, is if they actually explain what Democrat policies are and the people in it recoil and they're all Democrats and they go, well, that's what the party stands for. Oh, God, don't don't tell anybody that. Keep that under your hat. Go for the Nazi thing. Don't you want to do what to kids? No, no, no. Go for the Nazi thing. It's it's way more palatable. It's way better. Now, uh, since you're talking about uh, election denial and uh, how horrible it is, and my God, it might be the greatest crime against humanity ever since humanity began to exist, we have to talk about Stacey Abrams, the queen of it, in fact, the only member of the royal family of election denialism. She was such a star in 2018, the media tried desperately to drag her across the finish line. And it just didn't work. Her and Andrew Gillum. Remember Andrew Gillum? He was the Democrat who ran for governor of Florida. And the polls had it very close. And and it actually ended up being very close. There's no push for Andrew Gillum to get that rematch against DeSantis. Isn't that weird? Andrew Gillum. Well, Andrew Gillum uh, had a little bit of a problem. He got a CNN gig, well-paid CNN gig. Then he started smoking crack, or at least continued smoking crack. I don't know if he was always smoking crack or what. But he got caught with a uh, gay prostitute and a bunch of crack in a hotel. And like, that's probably not... I mean, in the Democrat, it definitely helped him in a Democratic primary. That would secure him the nomination. But it wouldn't be all that great for the general election. So they decided to go in a different direction. Nobody, I don't know, where is Andrew Gillum now? He's been memory-holed memory hole down there but Stacey Abrams is back no one uh, has gotten more cable news airtime than Stacey Abrams no one has raised more money as far as I can tell than Stacey Abrams darling of she's not doing super well seems that the last four years has been very endearing for Stacey Abrams insofar as the love of the media coming her way is concerned but as far as the love of voters, yeah, not so much. Not so much. She had. A, she's still on. MSNBC is desperately hoping for a miracle, trying to drag her across the finish line, and they had her on over the weekend. She has an interesting theory as to why she's not doing particularly well amongst, among other, not just general voters, but uh, among black men. And now this might be the reason why she's not doing particularly well among black men, by the way, but she doesn't seem to realize that. She uh, is of the belief that black men are too stupid to realize that they're being manipulated. They're being targeted with misinformation 
and they're being manipulated and they just can't realize it or something. I, I don't, I'm not sure what she point she was trying to make, but that's the point I got away from this clip is that she really thinks that black men are just too stupid to realize that they should vote for her because she's being nice to them. And I do not believe it's because of a deep well of enthusiasm for my opponent. We know that black voters are often discounted. And unfortunately, this year, black men have been a very targeted population for misinformation, not misinformation about what they want, but about why they want what they deserve. And my campaign has been the only one that has very intentionally, thoughtfully, and consistently reached out. That has been misconstrued as concern when it indeed is just respect. <laughs> they're just respecting them. They've been uh, lied to and they bought it and they're too stupid to realize they're being lied to and they're buying it. And so we have reached out to them with nothing but respect to tell them how idiotic they're being. And it just hasn't been reciprocated. And so the... Uh, the conning continues or something like I'm not really sure what she's what case she's trying to make there. But then again, she doesn't seem to be particularly sure what case she's trying to make there. It's like she's given up. Maybe there's a reason for her to give up. I don't know. I haven't seen the latest polls there and I don't know her internal polls, but it sounds an awful lot like excuse making. But to say that black men are too stupid. They've been targeted with misinformation and we've tried to tell them that they just don't get it. Not going to win many converts. If I have one hope, one race that I will enjoy see being called for Republicans. There are a lot of races. I want all the races to be called for Republicans. But the race in Georgia for the governorship, her losing is something that I will cherish if it does come to pass. I don't want to I don't want to spike the football on the 5-yard line, but I do I do hope she loses. And I will very much appreciate and relish that. I want to see Warnock lose too. I want to see Herschel Walker win because of the shabby way that uh, the racist way that the left has been treating Herschel Walker. But just watching Stacey Abrams lose, I think would be a glorious day for America. Because all that money that she raised and all that time she sucked up on cable news will have been for naught. And it took money away from other races that were winnable. And it took time away from other candidates who might have been able to garner support and might have been able to win in other races. It was all hoovered up like cocaine at a hooker party by Hunter Biden. And uh, it was all for naught. I hope so. I hope anyway. Knock on wood. Lastly, just so you know what you're voting for as you are voting on or what the issues are, I want to play you this teacher in Virginia. She's fighting for trans kids. She's fighting for trans kids. She cares more about your kids than you do, you monster. So just shut up and obey or something like that. She ain't going to stop. This is, this is what we're against. This is who we're against educator here and I want to let you know what's going on in our state in regards to LGBT policy. We're getting new information from the state level from Governor Yunkin and his supporters that we have to amend our policies at the school district level to align with his new plan to try to give parents more rights in education. And that sounds nice, but it's ultimately going to hurt kids because it's going to cause educators to not be able to use the correct name and pronouns that students are telling us to use with them. Um, 
it's going to require us to go to parents to get uh, approval before we can use the correct pronouns. And that's really going to hurt kids in unsupportive families and unsupportive environments. Um, we also have to amend our policies to no longer allow students to play sports or go to the bathroom with their gender and instead go to the one that matches their gender at birth. So keep watching what's going on in Virginia. We're fighting. We're fighting, we're fighting, and oh, it's part of his evil plan to give parents a say over what goes on with their child's education. They shouldn't do that. The parents shouldn't have a say over that. It is the union goon and the left-wing mob who knows better what is best for your child. So if your child wants to uh, say, I'm a different gender, they should be able to go down to their counselor, take a handful of hormones and just start treating them like they're pets and the parents need not ever know about it because who the hell are they anyway they're probably transphobes am i right of course i'm right i'm right i'm right i'm right that's what you're up against that's what the democratic party stands for these days ladies and gentlemen that's their priority parents have no rights children are they're all our children as long as i mean not yours you're wrong you don't get your own children. Democrats want control over them. They can butcher their bodies. They can butcher their minds. They can do whatever the hell they want. Your order is to just shut up and obey. Obedience. That's what the left is. Scary stuff. That's what you're voting on. So as you go and vote, remember that. Keep that in mind. Vote early. If you live in Chicago, vote often. If you vote anywhere, vote as often as you can. It's all, no, don't no felonies. No felonies, just victories, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back tomorrow to, uh, well, the podcast will be another sort of preview thing, unless, well, we'll see. If it breaks early, maybe I'll do something late at night. But, uh, God, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, and vote, 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 vote. <laughs>